All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're back on track with our Warrior series. And we departed last week to go to Luke chapter 9, 23 for our special Easter crowd uh, to let them know that uh, loving Jesus and, and following Him is more than something we do twice a year. So before we get cranked out, and we're going to look at the helmet of salvation this morning, um, we had a very amazing young man who has volunteered to uh, kind of show us what a warrior looks like. So Gabriel, why don't you come on up here, man? Let's uh, let's give a hand for here. Gabriel, come on up here, dude. All right. Now, Gabriel, tell us the different parts of, of your armor. Tell us what, you, what you're sporting this morning. The sword. All right, the sword. And that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Very good. And what do you got on your chest, man? The... I don't, I can't remember what it was. You're an honest man. That's good. Some of the adults would be like, let me pray about that. But uh, yeah, the breastplate, right, of righteousness. And what, what do you got on your head, man? Let's... The helmet of salvation. He even knows what it is. Let's give it up for Gabe. Yeah. Good job, man. And what do you got on your right arm there? The shield of truth. All right. All right. We've got, yeah, the shield. Shield of faith, and, and you've even got your blue jeans on, all right? Oh, that is awesome. So, I say faith. Oh, that's faith, truth. I mean, uh, faith. It all goes together. It's all about Jesus, right? So this is Gabriel, and Gabriel, can you tell us how old you are? Seven. Seven years old. That is the perfect number. Let's give it up for Gabriel this morning. You can go back down there and sit with your folks. Thanks, man. Just so that we could see what a real warrior looks like. Geared up. So, uh, and, and let me just, just say a word about kids. His brother likes that too. Sammy. Yeah, man. Um, just a thing for those of you who have kids. Um, some of you, you, you've got kids who have kids. And then, and some of you, you've got kids who have kids who have kids. And we'll go ahead and stop right there. So if you're a parent or a grandparent, I just want to encourage you so much, um, to speak the gospel into your children. Um, even for some of you, you're like, Jeff, I've really messed up. I never, I never read the Bible to my kids growing up. I never prayed with them. It just wasn't something that we did. Um, that can change, but especially for the fathers, it is so important, um, especially when they're, when they're your age, man. Seven is a good age. When they're young kids, have you ever seen this before? Kids are sponges. And sometimes you parents, you've lived through this. Your kid will say something. You say, the mom will say, where did you hear that, dad? And that's kind of like a motivation, you know, kind of clean up your act, so to speak. So, so I just want to encourage you to, to speak life into your children, no matter what age they are, to speak the gospel, to encourage them, to use every opportunity you can. Because when you read the book of Proverbs, it's like almost every chapter begins with the phrase, my son. It's like a dad who's living life with his kid and everything from the guy who doesn't take care of his yard to the guy who's too lazy to get out of bed. The father, the whole life of the child is trying to teach the child about the Lord through, through these situations. So I just want to encourage you. Um, that's free. That's extra. That's not in any of the outline that you've got there. But I just want to uh, encourage you to do that. Um, but just, uh, I feel led this morning. If we could just take one more moment and ask the Lord to help us. Um, we're going to talk about salvation um, this morning and deal with a lot of the questions that people have about it. So this is a, it's a pretty heavy thing. So if you could just pray with me and we'll, we'll ask God to, to give us help. Lord, we know um, sometimes we use phrases that, that we've heard um, in church quite often. And sometimes we just gloss over the meaning. And sometimes, uh, if we really admit it, 
it can become something that's almost dead to us, just something that we've experienced or something we know about. But Father, we ask, I ask this morning, God, that you would, that you would make our hearts come alive to, to salvation and the ones who you have saved and the ones who are living for you, God, that you would just, you would just help us to this morning grab a hold of once again of, of the amazingness of your love for us and it will do something with what we learn. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're talking about the helmet of salvation. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. And this is our very simple start-off phrase this morning for a massive, massive subject. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. And it says, And take the helmet of salvation. So salvation um, is described there. If you have an outline, I'll go ahead and read that verbatim with you. This comes from uh, Easton's Bible Dictionary. This is how salvation is defined. Quote, deliverance from evil or danger. In the New Testament, it is specifically used with the reference to the great deliverance from the guilt and the pollution of sin wrought or produced out of um, Jesus Christ. Quote, the great salvation. Now, we've got to understand that most of the New Testament, what it is, is it's an allusion back to the Old Testament. So if you've got your Bible, jump with me back to the book of Isaiah and the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one uh, in the, few, the pew. I, I almost said the few in front of you. That would be kind of strange. In the pew in front of you, in the rack there. And uh, in Isaiah chapter 59, this is the passage about um, the divine warrior. And here's the way it kind of begins. Um, if we, you would go with me to verse number 17, this is the same exact phrase. It says, And he put on righteousness, speaking of the Lord, as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Now, why would the Bible describe salvation in terms of something that goes on your thinking? It adjusts the way that we think. Well, go back to verse number 3 in Isaiah chapter 59, and it's got kind of some heavy metaphors. Um, Here's something that you will probably never see on a Christian t-shirt. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. Um, in verse number four, no one enters suit justly. What he's talking about here is in the day and time of Isaiah, there was a lot of violence. In our world today, there's a lot of what? A lot of violence. You can even like hole up in your room and you will still hear about violence. Verse number four, um, no one goes to suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. Texas Justice, you guys seen that show before? Judge Judy. Like you turn the channel and you've had a tough day and you turn it and you hear people arguing. You're like, I don't want to hear people arguing. And you see these people going to court to try to rip people off. Can we, can we be honest about that, right? And then you turn on your TV and what happens is you see, um, you see lawyers and we know that we need lawyers in a free society to, to, to correct the abuses of, of an overwhelming government. But what you see so often today is you see dishonesty, right? In the legal system, you see lawyers who are sometimes could be called ambulance chasers. And, and we see this whole jacked up world in verse number seven. Um, their feet run to evil. It doesn't say that they fall into evil. It says they run to evil and their thoughts are full, are thoughts of iniquity. Verse number nine. Therefore, justice is far from us. Y'all okay? There's a lot of justice that needs to happen in our culture today. Amen? Like there's a lot of injustice 
In Isaiah's day, he said, justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness. Some people in elections, they say, well, well, I want this person to be elected. And, and they think that, you know, everything's going to get better if this person gets elected or if this political party wins. And, and then sometimes when that happens, whether you're Democrat or Republican, whatever side you're on, and, and it seems like there's still, right, there's still injustice. It seems like people are trying to fix the world's problems through politics. And then it says also in verse 9, we hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. It's talking about the, the hopelessness of life without God. Go with me to verse number 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled, I mean it's not worked, in the public squares and righteousness cannot enter. And then in the last part of verse number 15 it says, The Lord saw it and it displeased Him, for there was no justice. So that means that everything that we see in today's world, the things that have happened to us, the things in our family that are so not right, things like sexual abuse, things like um, emotional abuse of a man talking down um, to a woman. I actually got let me just—I actually got thrown out of a store on uh, on Friday. I'm just going to confess here. Um, I was in Lynchburg, and uh, me and Anna we we went and hung out. I was like, you know, go to this antique mall. So we went there and and walk in this antique mall. Like the guy who owned it, there's this older lady who worked there. And the guy just started like, like berating verbally this woman, like screaming at this old, like this sweet older lady. And I was like, um, no. So I I prayed about it for about two seconds and I went and I walked up and I stopped. And then I walked closer like that. And his expression changed. His face began to kind of quiver. And I'm not an intimidating guy. And I said in a very pastoral tone. You don't talk to women like that. Don't do it. And then his face, like, started quivering. He said, You can leave. You get. And they threw me out of the store. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah. I was was embarrassed. I was like, I'm sorry if that, you know. Whoops a days. Um, and I said, I'm sorry if that, you know, embarrassed you. She's like, no, that was awesome. So I just, you know, there, there's a point, and, and, you know, no, I'm not speaking of violence or anything, but, you know, the Lord saw the, these things, you know, that were going on, and, and it says that He displeased Him. So everything that we see in our culture, what, whatever happens, God sees that, and guess what? He's not pleased. And some people, they'll say, now Jeff, man, all this messed up stuff is happening in the world. You talk about salvation and God's going to deliver us and save us. But it seems like nothing is happening. Um, remember that verse in the Bible that says that a day is as like to the Lord as how many years? What was it? Thousand, right? And, and a thousand. In other words, God, God's conception of time, His ability is not like ours to we were, we are limited in time. So the point is that God will do something about it. And then it says in verse 16, so God saw, saw it, injustice, and it displeased him. Verse 16, this is awesome. And he saw that there was no man. And wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. It's kind of like God sees this whole world that we live in. And he just, like almost in a joking type of way, like, well, let's see if there's any perfect person in the world that's going to fix this. Think presidential election. 
Whichever party you're in, or even if you don't have a party, it's like, it's like, and I think we should be involved. We should, we should vote our conscience. We should, you know, I, I don't think, um, you know, obviously abortion is, is huge. That is the deal breaker because life spilled over into everything. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, I don't see how under God you can support someone who sanctions, who sanctions, I'm going to get on this and get off of it, but this is important, who sanctions taking a baby out of the mother's womb except for the head and inserting an instrument into the back of the skull and literally sucking out its brain. How in the name of God can we call ourselves Christ followers if we endorse that type of stuff? And there's other words that we could use, but um, but it seems like every time we the elections roll around, we've got this person, right? Democrats have their poster child, and the Republicans have theirs, and it's like if this person gets elected, utopia, baby, you know. Everybody's going to have jobs and everything's going to work perfect and there's not going to be, you know, any oil spills. There's not going to be any wars. Guess what? Not going to happen. God says, I looked and I saw no man able to deliver. And then we come, this is so cool, in verse 17. It says, and he, speaking of God, after he looked out and said, you know what? There is no person who's able to fix the world's problems. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And check this out. And put on garments of, oh boy, politically incorrect word, of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. In verse 18, according to their deeds, so he will repay. That means um, there's going to be payday one day. Not politically correct. Not supposed to talk about that. But one day, God's justice will be delivered totally and without mercy. Because we have mercy now. If we do not repent, we get total justice. Notice also in verse 18, And wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands he will render payment. So what's the point? Verse 19. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. So when we look back in the Old Testament, we see this God who observes this, this, this terrible world in which we live. And we live in a bubble as Americans, don't we? If you don't think that you do, this is one way to, to, to analyze. What did you pray for this week? God, I hope that I'll be able to keep the benefits at my job. There's a lot of people that don't have any way to get a job around the world. God, I pray that you would help me to make my car payment. There's some people and they will never be able to own a car. Ever. Like never, ever. It's just not going to happen. Say, Lord, I, I pray that you would really help my 401k to come up or my 403b, my retirement. Would you help the stock market to do better? There are many people around the world, in fact, tons of people who live on basically zero. They live day to day, meal to meal, drink of water to drink of water, if they can get clean drinking water. So sometimes we, uh, just be honest, we, we here in the West, we think that we have problems. We don't have problems compared to the rest of the world in the physical sense. But what happens, because we are prosperous, our hearts have become hardened before God, 
and we've got we've got to go to right. We've got to get all this psychological help. We have this and that. We got depression. What happens is that when we get the things that God provides, but we don't honor Him as the provider, there's an amazing sense of disillusionment, isn't there? We get more and we get more and we get more depressed and we got to substitute that depression by more stuff. And so we got stuff and stuff and stuff. And then we, it's springtime, yeah, and we have a garage sale. Don't we? And then we go and we buy other people's junk. And then in two years, we sell our junk back to them. It's an awesome way of doing economics. It's bottom line. We've got stuff. But the Bible says that Christ came to deliver us. Why a helmet? Why would salvation be be described as a helmet? Well, um, there's a verse that I would like you to write down. It's not in your outline, but it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And it says, The God of this age, meaning Satan, has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe. So that... The glorious light of the gospel of Christ will shine on them. So in other words, the Bible's saying that one thing that Satan wants to do, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, is that his desire is to so cloud our vision of what life is that we're actually thinking that we are living a good, awesome, fulfilling life. We're at the end of it, like we studied last week, Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 26. Remember, Jesus says, What shall it profit a man if he gains what? The whole world. Like everything, guys. Every Xbox, every gaming system, every bass boat, ladies, every whatever. I mean, every, uh, you know, credit card to go shopping or every perfect vacation spot. Everything, everything, everything is yours and yours alone to use as you see fit. But Jesus says at the end, what will it profit you? Because you lose your very own soul. So that's what Satan's wanting to do, is he tries to mess with the way that we think. For example, we think if I give my life to Jesus, then I'm not going to be able to have a life. Totally not true. In fact, as we looked last week, Jesus came so that we can actually have a life. You think about the concept of salvation and being delivered. Um, my youngest brother, Justin, he was, this is when we were kids, he was swimming in a swimming pool. Um, and, and, and they had one of those, those, those tubes, right? And they had the net down there. Kind of little kids can sit in. Well, he was, he was little, and so he, he jumped in there playing. Well, he actually got stuck underneath, and he couldn't get out. And he started freaking out, and, and he thought, he, and he's, he's big and, and grown now pretty much. Isn't it crazy, those of you, like when your younger, youngest brother is going to be 21 in August? So many parents, you realize that, you're like, oh my goodness, I am getting OLD. We don't say that word, but, but it's, it's coming. Time marches on. And so he's there, and, and he said, I remember uh, my brother Josh, his hand just coming in, boom, grabbing Justin. And Justin was just a little kid and just pulled him out of the pool and put him on the side. And then Josh went back to his side of the pool to play with his friends. And Justin, remember, he recounted this story. And he's like, he just saved me. That's what it is. That's what it means when Jesus saves us from certain destruction. We're going to talk about what that actually means. Number one question, we're going to go through these. What is salvation? What is it? It is deliverance from danger or certain death. You look at the Old Testament, the quintessential example of this is coming out of Egypt, right? Remember they were slaves for over 400 years? 
And God sends Moses. Moses does these amazing things through the power of God. And he brings the people out. They go through the Red Sea. You've got Egyptians like right on your tail. That's like having really highly trained bad guys with weapons and you don't know anything other than to mix bricks and put them in the sun, stack them where you're told. Absolutely terrified. And then you look and they're coming across that Red Sea to slaughter you and your whole family. And all of a sudden, those, that, 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 mighty, uh, that mighty collection of water, God's just like, alright, moves his hands, boom! And they're all drowned. God delivered them. And then the book of Judges the people, remember what would happen? God would say, here, I want you to follow me. People would say, ah, oh, let me think about it. No. And they would reject God, and they would get enslaved by foreign nations. Then God would send in judges. Basically, they were like Rambos. Alright? They came in, and they took names, and they cleaned house. And, and, and they were called judges. And you see the phrase over and over again, and he, referring to the judge, delivered Israel. They saved them from certain death. Now, you think about death. We don't like to think about death, do we? Anybody here seen the movie, What About Bob? Alright. A great classic example of what it means to be a normal psychological person. And uh, You've got the kid, little Sigmund there, and, and, he, and, he, and he comes in and he says, in like this deadpan tone of voice, I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. And that awkward silence that came after that. But you know what? He's exactly right. Now, now here, here, here's the thing. We don't like to think about death, do we? Alright? So, but, but we know in the back of our mind, one day, we're going to die. For some of you, you know, they're like, no way! Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Like, everybody, we're all going to die. So, the question that people have tried to deal with is, okay, what do we do about that? Like if, if death is, like if death is actually coming, if I'm actually me, like me, Jeff, if I, me, am, like think of your name, if you are actually one day going to die, like there's no medicine that's going to fix you, no doctor, no workout plan, no root of some tree in the Himalayas that will revive your health, nothing, no barley green, no creatine, nothing. One day... Is that a clear enough picture? Some of you are like, oh, that's, that's, wow. Yeah, yeah, one, one day, um, you will, you will die. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Amen. Praise God. But what do you, what do you do? One of the things that's becoming more and more popular in America is this concept that if we just train our minds to think properly, we can live this perfect life And then whatever happens after death, as long as I have peace with myself, I'm going to be okay. Um, Some of you may know about uh, Buddhism. And this is growing very, very rapidly uh, in America. And I taught a class on that a couple years ago and was able to study that. And there's something within the life of Buddha. Uh, He was originally a prince in India. And he grew up, and, and what his dad did, his dad was like the ultimate protector. In fact, his dad never, never let, like he was even, like the Buddha, his name was Siddhartha Gautama. He was um, even a young man, and his dad never let him see a sick person. Never. He had never seen death. He had never seen anyone in other than like a happy spirit. So, so what happened is he actually got out of the castle and he was walking and he saw he saw these four sights. He saw an old man. Now imagine being like in your 20s and you've never seen an old person. 
Like you, 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 you were in such a secluded, closed environment that you didn't really, and this is hard to think of, you didn't really think that people actually got old and, you know, gained weight and, and lost their hair. And, and for men, you know, you lose it on top and it starts coming out of your ears. I don't understand that. You know, like you, you don't, you've never seen that, right? And, and then you see this old man stumbling along and it freaked him out. Then he saw another side. He saw a person lying on the side of the road who had a deadly disease. You're in your 20s-ish, and you've never seen somebody with a disease. Freaked him out. Then they walked further. He He was on his horse, and he saw a corpse like a dead person. Remember the first time? Maybe it was when you were a kid. I remember for me it was, uh, my dad did a, a funeral in New Orleans and we went into, the, it was like downtown New Orleans. It was like one of these old gothic type of looking um, funeral homes and, and we went in and, and, it, and it just, it, I don't know, it just smelled like I'd never smelled anything like that before. And, and the people there, I don't, I don't remember if they were believers or not, but they were like the person in the casket. Like this lady had, was picking up the hand and like putting the hand on her face, like stroking it, crying and like almost like picking the dead person up. Freaked me out. The sound, the smell, what the people were doing. And he saw this dead person and finally he saw this wandering beggar And at that point, the guy later known as the Buddha renounced everything. He says, you know what? I've got to find some answers because I'm one day going to get old. I'm one day going to get sick. I'm one day going to die. And it just seemed like every his whole world, his dad would provide women. It was like nonstop parties. He renounced all of that. And he went on this search to try to find meaning. Near the end of his life, he came up with this thing called enlightenment, which said that if you meditate, if you think in a certain state of mind, to a certain level, you can achieve mental peace. And that's what we should strive for. And about 500 years later, there was this guy born in Palestine. And he was born as a Jew under the Romans. And people were talking about, you know, this guy, you know, like like stars moved, you know, it was like the star followed and, and he was born of, of a virgin. And there's like these these rumors going about. And then one day, you know, that Jesus encountered and actually conquered those same four sites. Remember um, what happened um, when Jesus encountered the aging problem in Matthew chapter six? Let me read this to you. Matthew chapter six, verse 27. He says, and which of you by being anxious for those of you who worry? Those of you who worry, those of you who are married to people who worry, those of you who pull out your hair and stress out, he says, Jesus says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour or span to his life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like some of these. Verse 30, but if, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So Jesus addressed the aging problem with the reality that God is still in control and that God can love us and take care of us when we're young, when we're middle-aged, or when we get OLD. Jesus also encountered uh, the other disease, right? Remember what happened when Jesus found people with diseases? What did He do? Didn't freak out. He, he straight up healed them. In Matthew chapter 4, He healed them. And then in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent out the disciples and they began to heal people. And then what did Jesus do with death? 
You know, Jesus, like he encountered death in, in John chapter um, 11, Jesus said um, in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Though a man may die, yet shall he live. So Jesus is like, look, the death can be totally conquered. It's not a problem. But you think about how, how horrific death actually is. Some of you in here have probably had close or near to death experiences. Some of you is like on a hospital bed. You're like, man, I don't know how me or my wife made it off of there. Like I really thought I was down for the count. And, and that feeling, right? That, that, that feeling that you have when you think that you're going to die. It's a terrible feeling, isn't it? I remember several years ago, we were at seminary. We were doing this Monday night fight night thing. And I got in the... My, my eye busted open and I was there. I don't do very well with blood. And, and so um, a friend who was in the special forces is like, come on over, we'll, 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 we'll take care of it for you. So I'm there, you know, and I'm sitting down there, you know, in his restroom. We're, we're looking at the, at, you know, the, the, the mirror and I'm seeing myself and seeing him dig around in there with, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop there. Some of y'all are like getting ready to heave right now. He was, he was doing all this and seeing the blood. And it was just like, I don't do well with I just don't do well. You know, it's just like, you know, you go into some ERs, they're like, Je- Pastor Jeff, would you lead us in a prayer? I'm like, you know, he's out cold. So we yeah, revive the preacher. But yeah, I was there. And it was just like, I began to feel so horrifically, like sickeningly weak. And I fainted in his arms. Yeah, I did straight up. And I woke up on his couch and my other friend, just a real merciful guy, was actually patting and kind of rubbing my lower leg. I was like, that is a weird night when I fall, when I faint in the arms of a man and I wake up with another man rubbing my leg. That is a weird, bad night. Yeah, man, you got to move on. I don't know, you know, and I just told that to y'all, the cat's out of the bag. But, uh, but yeah, you know, just like that feeling when you, when you, when you faint or when you, like, how bad would that feel? But Jesus is like, look, guys, don't worry about it. If you believe in me, if you trust in me, I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to do it. And then in 2 Timothy, um, it, it speaks of Jesus Christ in verse, verse um, number 10 of chapter 1. It says that Jesus Christ has abolished death, abolished, like destroyed, rendered inoperable death. Amen? And that good, like seriously, that is good news. And Jesus is like, you know, you don't have to worry, be worried about it. All you have to do is trust, is trust in me. You have to trust in me. And then in Luke chapter 9, verse 58, Jesus dealt with the thing of, of, of wandering and, and not having anything. Remember he said that, that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, I don't have any place to even lay my head. So you see, the whole thing, and the reason why I mentioned this this morning is because um, the Buddhists and the transcendental meditation and the enlightenment and even spilling over into Hinduism, that is huge in our culture today. I've dealt with students. This one student, he had this electric guitar and he played music a lot and he had this, this wave on there and like this lotus flower. And he's like, so dude, like, this is kind of like my belief. Like, I believe that, that this lotus like represents the universe and like we're continually being destroyed and like created by like the cosmos. And so like when the wave comes, it's like when bad stuff comes, but then waves also go out and they bring good stuff. And that's kind of what I believe. And I'm like, I don't think he got the, uh, you know, say no to drugs memo when he was in middle school. You know, sometimes people say, you know, like, I don't, I, you know, I, I love you as a person, but I don't follow you. I, I'm working on it. But it's like all of that stuff and all the sights that, that, that the Buddha saw that drove him to say that we've got to simply get a state of mind. Those are the same thoughts and everything that Jesus brought. He experienced those, but Jesus conquered everything. You see, that's the difference. Jesus is able to save us 
from the ravages of old age. One day when you die, check it out. You don't have to worry about getting old anymore. Some of y'all, that ought to excite you. One person's excited. All right, the rest of you. I like it. I like aging. Yes, this is, this is good. And Jesus will, I mean, do all these amazing things. You know, Buddha also said something that's very interesting. He said, be ye lights or be lights to yourselves. Remember in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So for Jesus, salvation is Jesus actually coming into the pit that we are in, the pit of our sin, pit of addictions. And Jesus doesn't say, imagine that you're not in the pit. Jesus reaches in and pulls us out of the pit. Praise God. If you're saved here this morning, it ought to be a time for you to just praise the Lord for what He's done in your life. Second question, who needs salvation? This is huge. Ephesians chapter 1 says that we're dead in our sins and trespasses. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The quick and the easy and the simple answer here is that every single person needs salvation. You say, now Jeff, why do I need salvation? Let me just do a, you already do a little test right here? Okay, here it is. Um, if we could say, how many of you say that you're good people? Y'all have heard me preach enough that probably none of y'all would raise your hand. That's good. Um, if we were to say... How many of you consider yourself to be a good person? Probably, you know, in a regular crowd, most people would say, right here, have an axe murdered in. And you, you notice the definitions, like you say, well, why do you think you're a good person? Well, I hadn't killed anybody. It's like, so not murdering people, like not doing drive-bys is the measure of a good person? Like, that's really setting the bar high. Like, good job, son, you didn't commit genocide today. Way to go. Like, seriously? Come on we got to stop kidding ourselves. And so the question would be like, have you ever told a lie? Any of us? Let's just be honest. Have you ever told a lie? Let's just raise your hand. Okay, a lot of liars. A lot of liars. Not the ones who raised their hands, the ones who didn't. Wow. We've got some work to do, Fred. Let me tell you what. So, <laughs> that, was, that was enjoyable. Some of y'all are mad now. It's all right, you'll get over it. If, we, if I have ever told you a lie, what would you call me? And I am because I've committed a lie. Let's look at another one. Um, have any of you, um, well, since there's business people in here, we're not going to do this as public. Yeah. How many of you have ever, in your mind, obviously, you know, you don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever stolen anything, even if it's really, really small? Think about it. What? We've got some honest people. I'm there with you. Yes. There's some people, and you're like sitting on your hands right now. Yeah. What are you? Yeah, some people are like stealer, no, thief. Yeah. Remember what Jesus said about the adultery thing? He says all you have to do is look with lust in your heart, and you've committed adultery. Remember he talked about murder. He said you've, you've heard, you guys have heard, don't kill people, right? Don't murder. But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother without cause, you're in danger of judgment. Yikes! Remember, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That can be GD. Saying Jesus Christ in kind of like a curse way, but it's also it's also using the name of God in an empty way. Coming to church and saying, Praise God. Amen, Jesus. But you know you're gonna go home and destroy someone with your words. It's blasphemy. 
Or it's to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm, I'm going I'm to flirt with you. I'm going to call on you one day. You know, maybe, maybe sometime I'll, I'll get right with you. But, but you know, I'll, I'll use your name like as a safety, uh, as my, my safety switch. It's, 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 it's taking the name of God in an empty, vain way. That's why Jesus says, hallowed, honored, awesome, lifted up, high and mighty be your name. You shall have no other gods before me. Has there been any ever anything that's gotten in front of your relationship with God? Guilty. What about the 10th commandment? Watch out. Thou shalt not covet. What Jesus is saying, Scripture, is be satisfied. How many of us actually stressed ourselves out and lost sleep because we wanted a bigger, badder, faster ride? How many of us have really done damage to the relationships in our life, life, especially if you're married, by stressing over trying to get to some financial plateau by which you think that you will, if you achieve that, you will not need God anymore. We've all broken God's law. And that's why the Bible says, by the works of the flesh, no flesh will be justified. By the works of the law, rather, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. That means that we can never extradite ourselves from Needing God's salvation. So somebody says, okay, now Jeff, what about those people who've never heard? What about the people who've never heard the gospel? Will they go to hell? Yes. Yes. The Bible tells us that every person has the knowledge of God in Romans chapter 2. And that these people will not go to hell because they have rejected Jesus, but they go to hell because they have rejected the knowledge of God. And if we call ourselves Christ followers and Christ believers, I don't see how under God we cannot go. Amen? Some people are like, now Jeff, are you talking about foreign missions or are you talking about local missions? Both. Talking about like, go to your neighbor. Share the gospel. Talk about the people that you know at work. Share the gospel. Because if we, if we want to get like serious about this thing, if Jesus is really the Son of God, then there's really no person who can do what He did. Salvation is through Him alone. So if we truly love Christ, we get radical with our time, with the way we spend our vacations, with the way that we give our money to bring the gospel all around the world. And there are no innocent people. You say, Jeff, what about babies? Or people with um, uh, special people. We've got an article linked on the website where Al Mohler and Danny Aiken do a great job of explaining that. And a sentence would believe um, that the grace of God for a, 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 a young infant child, the grace of God covers that child, and they are those who, who will be saved and God will take care of them. But the question so much is not on those, the question is for you. Have you been saved? Have you trusted Christ? You say, now Jeff, who can be saved? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Amen? Like that, that's, that's what the text says. And some people are like, now, hold on Jeff, you don't understand, my wife, my dad, my kid, they are really far gone. Like really, 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 really far gone. And what happens sometimes is we doubt the grace of God, don't we? Well, question, who is greater? What is greater? Is it their sin or is it the power of God? Some of you sweet ladies, you've been praying for your husband for years. Pray according to the power of God. Keep planting those seeds. Amen? Yes, do not give up because God can eventually break down the hardness of a human heart. And there's some people, they don't think that they need salvation. Those are the ones who need it big time. But then there's usually people in the crowd, and they're like, Jeff, man, I'm... 
I'm, I'm like hopeless. I have done so much wrong. I have made so many mistakes. Could God really? God, could you really forgive me? God, I lived for years rebelling even though I knew what was wrong. God, I disobeyed my parents. I disobeyed your word. I was in drugs. I was in illicit sex. I was doing all sorts of things. God, I was a criminal. I got caught or I didn't get caught. God, I smoked pot. I slept with my girlfriend numerous times. God, I was in, I, I was, I, I was the cause of a divorce and it was me pushing it. God, how could you forgive me? And the voice of God comes back and he says, because of my amazing, amazing grace. My amazing love that is able to cover every single sin that you have ever committed in your life. And I am able by my grace, no matter how bad, how rotten you are, I can make you praise God into a new creature. To where you're old, it's passed away. It's past tense, it's gone, it's done away with. And I can save you. But the question is for us, is do we think that our sin is more powerful than God? And God is saying, just give it to me. And He wants to take those broken pieces of our life and make something beautiful out of it. So if you're here today and you're like, Jeff, bro, that's good, like the helmet, cool. I just, for me, I think I need, you know, like Jesus to die twice or something. I, I don't know. Like, I, I am a big sinner. The grace of God extends to every single person who will call upon His name. Even you and me. How is a person saved? Very simply, by receiving the grace of God for forgiveness for their sins. And somebody said, now hold on Jeff. It sounds like you're saying that their faith and their repentance... Like if I put my faith in Christ and I repent of my sin, then that means that my repentance and my faith is a good work and that good work gets me saved. No, you don't work to receive a gift, right? Like let's imagine you, you, you want to do something really nice and you, you bought me a, uh, a street bike. And you came and you brought that brand new street bike and you said, Jeff, here's a motorcycle for you. I bought this, I took out of my savings account to give it to you and I said, wow, that is amazing. Thank you. Did I work for that? I simply received the gift that was bought for me. So simply receiving the grace of Christ by repentance and faith. Uh, another question here is, um, is sal- why is salvation necessary? It's because there's no amount of good works. Like some of you, you're like, man, I need to just get better, get better. No, no, no. You need to come to Christ. You need to repent. And there's others, you're like, Jeff, oh, well, I, salvation's good, but how do I know that I'm saved if your life changed? Did, did, did your life change? You know what I found often in church, what we do so, so often, is we will go back to a point in time. You say, have you been saved? And say, yeah, yeah, I'm saved. Okay, why are you saved? Well, back when I was 12, I, and it's all about that decision, but if you look through the book of 1 John, it's like, did our life change, right? Like, did it, did it, did it, actually, did it actually change? Because God is so powerful that He will not leave us unchanged. And so what are we saved from? We're saved from hell. Amen? We're saved from hell. And what are we saved to? We're saved to heaven. And so, Jeff, like, how do we, how do we live out our salvation? Like, how do, we, how do we do that? Well, who wrote Ephesians? Somebody tell me. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, before he became a follower in Christ, he was like throwing people in prison. Like, he was standing there watching Stephen, this godly man, being beaten to death by rocks. That's like, don't put that on TV level of violence. And the Apostle Paul is there and and he's seeing all of that brutality being poured out upon Stephen. And he was so cruel. He was like, you know what guys, let me hold your coats while you do this. 
Sitting there watching like, yeah. Filled with pride, filled with religious arrogance. And yet one day on a road, Jesus came and Jesus destroyed the Apostle Paul's world. Absolutely annihilated everything that he thought was right. And for three days, he was in actual physical blindness. And God came to this one guy named Ananias. And God's like, Ananias, remember that guy Paul who's killing all the Christians? He's here in town. I want you to go meet with him. And Ananias is like, say what? Come again? Who? Oh, no, not, not the one day Apostle Paul, but Saul of Tarsus. And you want me to go meet with him? Like me in a house with him? What would you do if we lived in a country that had persecution and we were hiding for simply having the word of God and calling Christ Lord? What would you do? If God came to you in like, like a special way, He revealed Himself and said, I want you to go, and this top, like an Osama bin Laden against Christians, He's there. I want you to go without guard. I don't want you to pack your 9mm you know, in your back hip. I don't want you to have the extendable baton in your coat jacket. I mean, just you go, leave your Muay Thai at the house. Just you go to Him one-on-one. And you, what, 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 would we do? what would we do? What would we do? What, what would we do? What, because sometimes what happens is God's like, go talk to your neighbor. And we don't. So honestly, all church stuff aside, what would we do? And Ananias went. Remember what he said? Remember that cuss word he used in the Bible? Did y'all know that? No. He didn't. He walked in and he said something that you and I might not be able to say. Because who knows, Ananias may have had friends and family who were killed and thrown in prison by Saul. He walked in and he said, Brother Saul. And he laid his hands upon the head of Saul. Now at that point, you and I would be thinking, now how did I see Chuck Norris break people's necks back in those movies? I'm trying to remember. But he laid his hands on his head and he prayed for Saul. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you. The Apostle Paul, looking back upon this, now that he is in prison for the very thing that he once put people in prison for, and he writes this this phrase, the helmet of salvation. You can just imagine in Paul's mind, we don't know what he did. Maybe if that would have been you and I, we would have just broke down and said, thank you God for the gift of salvation that I do not deserve and I'll never be able to pay for. But because of your grace, you've given it to me, so help me to live this out. And he did. Remember the last, one of the last words that he wrote? He says, I'm already being poured out, Second Timothy, as a drink offering. For the time of my departure has come. So between now and then, you and I have the chance to live this out. Very simply, tell your neighbors, tell your friends, tell your co-workers, about Jesus. Work what you've got to work. Work the gospel in to the glory of God because God gave us the gospel so that we can bring it to other people. Let's pray. We go into this time of uh, the end of invitation. <clears throat> uh, some of you, you need, to, uh, you need to step out and follow Christ. You've never been saved. And in this moment right now, you just, just, just tell the Lord, say, God, I, I need you to save me. Would you save me? I'm ready to live for you. You've done a work in my heart and the service, something um, that was said from the word, and I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to be saved. We're going to ask that you would, uh, when we begin to sing, just come and walk down. And, and doing that, you're saying, you know what, I'm standing up for Jesus today. I'm ready to live for him. If you need to be baptized, you need to join this church, we also invite you to come.
Lord, we thank You for Your gift of salvation and what You've delivered us from, what You've delivered us to. And I pray, God, for the ones this morning who need deliverance, that You would give that to them, the ones that You're leading to come and, and, uh, and make a public commitment, God, that You would give them the courage to do that. In Jesus' name, Amen.